Before we pray, just a quick note about the gospel reading. If you take a look on page 8, uh, this may not be important, but it was something that jumped out at me. And um, I mean, it was not original with me, but it's, it's evidently a characteristic of Matthew's gospel that in, in Matthew, Jesus speaks in threes. He speaks in triads a lot. For example, verse 34, I have come to bring peace, right? Don't think I've come to bring peace. Uh, I have not come. And then in verse 35, for I have come. So the word come is used three times. And then notice in verse 35, there are three pairs of family members mentioned, man against his father, daughter against her mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And then notice in verses 37 and 38, not worthy of me uh, is mentioned three times again, a triad. And then in the second paragraph, uh, the word reward is used three times. It's just a characteristic, his way of speaking, especially as Matthew records it, uh, he speaks in threes. Why? We're not sure. Uh, it, it may be hearkening back to Deuteronomy, where um, every matter will be accounted for as truthful on the testimony of two or three witnesses, maybe mentioning something three times, is saying you can bet on it, you can count on it. Who knows? But it's characteristic of our Lord as Matthew records him. We bow our heads and pray. Holy Father, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be acceptable in your sight through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. So, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. The prophet Isaiah referred to the coming Savior as the Prince of Peace. And at our Lord's birth, the angels proclaimed, Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. So, given all that, how do we reconcile those statements with what Jesus says in our gospel lesson for this morning. Verse 34, Do not think I've come to bring peace on the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like any peace I'm familiar with. So Roman numeral one on page nine of the bulletin, Christ divides us from family. He divides us from family. In the ancient world, a person's primary loyalty was to family above all else. And I think it's still that way today. I don't think it's much different now. The Bible says that we are to love all people, but we are to honor father and mother. And as Luther explains rightly, Honor includes love. It covers that, but it goes much further. Honor means that we see father and mother as God's representatives. They are masks of God, in other words. To speak disrespectfully to father and mother is to speak disrespectfully to God, according to Scripture. In fact, the death penalty was assigned to those who curse father or mother. That's how vital and important family and family relationships are in the Bible. And so it is into such an environment 
that Jesus speaks the shocking words of our gospel lesson for this morning, saying in effect that there is a higher loyalty than that of the family. And that reality cuts like a sword through every household, dividing fathers from their sons and mothers from their daughters and so on. So letter A, if charity begins at home, and it does, it should, so does suffering for the sake of Christ. It begins at home. Point number one, Jesus invades our family space, claiming to be the most important person in our lives. He claims to be the most important person in our lives. My friends, if anyone else entered your domicile and declared that henceforth he will be the most important person in your life and the most important person in the life of your family, you would be stunned, you would be offended, and you would consider him a fool or something worse. But when Jesus does it, somehow it seems appropriate. Point number two, Jesus brings peace with God. He is the peacemaker. He brings peace with God. But not all receive his peace. Not everyone's open to his peace. And so that creates opposition. Jesus is the light of the world, but we read in John 3 that men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Jesus said to his disciples in the gospel lesson two weeks ago, whenever you enter a home, you greet it. And if it is worthy, meaning if it receives the gospel message, if it responds positively to the gospel message, let your peace rest upon it, upon that household. But if it is not worthy, if it rejects the gospel, let your peace return to you. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, but not everyone is open to his peace. St. Paul wrote in Romans 5, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Meaning, having forgiven our sins through his death on the cross, and having been declared righteous and holy in God's sight by his resurrection from the dead, we have peace with God through Jesus and through no one else. Number three, a quote from St. Jerome. He, he lived in the fourth century. A good war is sent to break a bad peace. A good war is sent to break a bad peace. My friends, it is better to have Jesus, even with family conflict, than to be without Jesus and to have family peace. Not all peace is good. Not all peace is from God. A bad peace is a peace in which a family may be walking together, but perhaps they're walking together in opposition to God and to his word, or that maybe they're walking together in ignorance of God and of his word, a family may be unified in their rejection of the gospel or in their ignorance of the gospel and be perfectly content therein. But that is a false peace. It is a peace that leads to death and it is a peace that needs to be challenged. The moment someone in the family begins to follow Christ, conflict begins. And when conflict arises, remember, Jesus told you so. He told you so. Otherwise, when the conflict arises, you'll be tempted to think, oh, this could not possibly be God's will. God would not want conflict in my home. Maybe I better 
dial it back a little bit in terms of my enthusiasm for Jesus. And yet such conflict is the will of God because not all peace is from God and that includes the peace that we call compromise. My friends, there are times in life when compromise is good and right and necessary. Compromise is a necessary skill in marriage. Compromise is a necessary skill in the legislature, in the Congress. Compromise is important in situations in which keeping the peace is more desirable than simply getting one's own way. But in other situations, compromise is not good. That's especially true when it comes to compromising the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. I was reading a book recently by a a so-called Christian clergy person who wrote, and I quote, I don't believe in Jesus as Savior and Lord. I believe in him as my friend. I have no problem with anyone seeing Jesus as friend. But if that's all Jesus is, if he's nothing more than a friend, then he's not God. He cannot save you from sin, from death, and from everlasting condemnation. If he's only a friend and nothing more. He can't do those things. Compromise is dangerous because of the subtle way it approaches you. It never says, get rid of Jesus altogether. Just forget about him. It never says that. It says, change Jesus a little. Dial it back a little on his claims to make him more acceptable today to a broader audience of people. See him as a great prophet or as an outstanding example to follow. Put him on the same shelf with other great religious teachers, Buddha and Muhammad and others. The problem with that is that no one on that shelf can save you. Only God can save you. The God who became man so that he could suffer and die and rise for our sins. Letter B. Compromise never involves wholesale capitulation to worldly ways. It never involves wholesale rejection of the truth. Rather, it accommodates the truth. This was so true in the old Roman Empire. You know, they would accept any and every God. They would accept Jesus as long as you accepted the emperor as God also, all the other gods as legitimate as well. And the Christians wouldn't do that. Compromise accommodates false teaching. It makes peace with what is false. And that guts the gospel of its power. Compromise says this, Jesus has done all he can to save you. Now the rest is up to you. Christ has done his 99%. Now you must do your 1%. My friends, we compromise the gospel when we see Christ's saving work is incomplete and awaiting completion by you or by me. And that is a false gospel. And finally, we compromise the gospel when we fail to speak it. The gospel, after all, is good news. It's meant to be proclaimed. But when we remain silent and refuse to speak it, we fail to be the salt and the light that our family needs us to be and that others need us to be as well. So let us see. Disciples walk the narrow way between family idolatry on the one hand and family neglect on the other. Family neglect is a very real possibility. 
St. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 5, if anyone does not provide for his own relatives, especially for members of his own household, he's denied the faith. He's worse than an unbeliever. The family's important. It just can't be what matters most. Roman numeral two. Christ divides you not only from your family, he divides you from yourself. He divides you from your old way of life. Verse 38 of our gospel reading, whoever does not take, take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. The word take in the Greek lambano, it has two major meanings in scripture. It can mean to reach out and to take something on your own initiative. Or secondly, it can mean to passively receive something. And in verse 38, the meaning is the number one. It's the former. Now salvation is a free gift that we passively receive. We don't reach out and grasp it and take it for ourselves. It's a free gift we passively receive. It's dropped into our laps. But bearing the cross is something we choose to do. That's meaning number one. Having been born again, we now desire to follow Christ, even though it involves suffering. Letter B, the cross is not something we grudgingly accept, but willingly take up. We willingly embrace it. And that really describes Jesus first and foremost, does it not? In, in Luke 9, verse 51, that's the beginning of the travel narrative to Jerusalem. And, and we read in that verse, Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. He's determined to go. And nothing can stop him, even though he knows that there he will encounter the cross, there he will die. Certain death. But he sets his face toward that. And we who follow him, we are cut from the same bolt of cloth, believe it or not. We know that it's better to have Jesus, even with family conflict, than to be without Jesus and to have family peace. Letter C, to take up the cross is the daily decision to give fearless witness to Christ. This is what it means to bear the cross. It means to publicly identify with him in your family at work, at school. That's bearing the cross above all else. Fearless witness to Christ. Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. He set his face toward his own cross. His cross was his life's goal. His cross was his north star. It was his purpose in life. And it's the same for us. Verse 38, Jesus says, whoever does not take up his own cross, not the cross of Christ. You and I could never carry that. Whoever does not take up his own cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Each one of us has his or her own special cross. Each one of us has his or her own North Star, his or her own purpose in life. And your cross, your North Star, your daily purpose in life is given to you in verses 32 and 33 of our gospel reading from last Sunday. And I'll read it to you. Jesus said, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Your purpose, your calling in life, your cross is to publicly acknowledge Jesus, to identify with him daily as a way of life. 
through your words and through your actions, you will bear witness to Jesus. Will it cost you some friends? Yes. Will it challenge your relationships at home? It's likely. Roman numeral three, your absolute importance to others. In you, in you, Jesus himself confronts other people. And in Jesus, God himself confronts them. That's what Jesus is saying in verses 40 through 42. When you publicly associate yourself with Jesus Christ, you, your words, and your actions become living extensions of Christ himself. When you publicly associate yourself with Jesus, you become the most important person in the lives of those whom you touch. You become Christ to them. And that is an amazing honor for you and a great blessing to them. And that brings us to letter B. You are the latest link you're the latest link in a venerable chain of missioners extending from the missionary God himself. Think of history as a long chain of witnesses to Jesus Christ, and you are the latest link in that chain. And let her see, we scatter blessings wherever we go when we identify with Jesus. We scatter blessings wherever we go. During the month of June, I um, lead the Millrace Bible Study at Millrace Center. Wonderful people there. And it's on Tuesday mornings, 10.30 to 11.30, I believe, yeah. And uh, at the end of the month, they always give me a little gift card. And it made me think of verse 42 in our gospel reading, where Jesus says, whoever gives one of these little ones, now the little ones our disciples, the least of all disciples, followers of Christ, bearing their crosses. Whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he's a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Now, all I did on Tuesday mornings was lead a Bible study. All I did was be who I am, or try to be, a living extension of Christ himself. They welcomed me, they received my words, and they gave me, in a sense, a cup of cold water, a little gift card. And in doing so, based on our text, they actually welcomed Christ, they received his words, they gave him a cup of cold water. And here's my point. They will by no means lose their reward. During the school year, we have Grace Bible Club online. It's a wonderful ministry, and, and I have the least to do with it. Of all the people involved, uh, I do a temple talk on those mornings, and there was a little girl. I, I believe she's in California. I think she might be Jeannie's granddaughter. I'm not sure. I'm trying to remember now, but she sent me a card in the mail um, thanking me for doing the temple talks, and um, we do sign language. We teach them simple phrases. Um, and she, she sent me this card thanking me for doing the temple talks and saying that she's praying for me. This little, no bigger than a corn nubbin, this little girl. And my point is simply this. 
But that's a cup of cold water. And she will by no means lose her reward. This is what I mean by saying when you identify with Jesus, you scatter blessings wherever you go. People will respond in ways. God will bring about a response in others. And among those responses will be things that the Lord himself will reward in their lives. In the same way, when you share your faith with a friend or with a neighbor, when you lead a Bible study, when you lead a family devotion at home, when you take a stand publicly on the truth of God's word, whatever it may be, God will produce a response in others that he will reward them for. And it's important to say, God's rewards are always rewards of grace, never of merit. Just because you do a good work does not mean God owes you something. God is never in your debt. Whenever God gives, he gives graciously, never out of a sense of obligation. And that's clear from the text this morning. Look at verse 41. The one who receives a prophet because he's a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. You see, the reward far outweighs the good deed. Uh, just Just to give a cup of cold water to the prophet is to receive the same reward that the prophet receives from the Lord for all of his years of service. The reward far exceeds the deed itself. That's grace. That's not merit. The one who receives a righteous person because he's a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. You just welcome him. Give him shelter for the night, a meal the next morning. You're you're treated by God the same way as God treats him. The reward far outweighs the good deed. My friends, you will take up your cross when you refuse to hide your faith from others. You will take up your cross when you gladly and willingly identify yourself with Christ crucified and with his people. When you do that, God will produce a response in others that he will reward them for, and you will scatter blessings wherever you go. There will be conflict. But it is far better to have Jesus with conflict than to have peace without him. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.